Well, uh, happy Tuesday, everyone. Well, we did it. We're here. Some of you are here. Some of you are online, both at the same time. What a time to be alive. Uh, as Jeremy said at the beginning, um, if this is your first time here with us tonight, we want you to know that you are accepted and welcome here just as you are. Um, regardless of where you're at tonight, uh, spiritually, emotionally, physically, well, physically, some of you are here. Physically, some of you are not here. But um, regardless of what you think about God or faith or church or any of this, you are accepted and welcome here. And we're glad to have you with us tonight. Uh, as I said earlier, kind of by accident, welcome to our first in-person live stream hybrid service. Um, we're still figuring out how this is all going to work clearly, uh, how it's going to flow smoothly. Um, so there's probably going to be some kinks and, and stuff for us to figure out. Um, but thanks for your patience. Thanks for, uh, <laughs> pushing into this with us, uh, as we push into this new reality for our Tuesday night gatherings. Um, we have been doing this thing where I've been asking you a question to think about and then, uh, enter your answer into the chat when we live stream on YouTube. Uh, and we're gonna figure out how to do that with people in the room and still on the stream, but uh, that won't be tonight. So tonight there is no question for you to be thinking about. But if you are online, please continue to say hi to each other. I saw some of you were chatting and I think that's great. Uh, tonight, we're starting a new series looking at some of these stories about Jesus um, that take place immediately after his resurrection. The resurrection of Christ is a profound expression of God's love that ultimately communicates that God is, that God is drawing us close to him. Um, but I think sometimes abstract discussions about uh, the resurrection, about God conquering sin and death through Christ can sometimes make it hard for us to understand what the resurrection actually means for us, like how it actually applies to our life. And so I'm really thankful for these stories that we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks because they put flesh and bones on um, the reality of the resurrection. The most profound implications of the resurrection for our lives now are seen most clearly in these stories of Jesus that took place in the aftermath of his resurrection, like the story that we're looking at tonight. Uh, tonight, we're, we're looking at the two followers of Jesus on the road to Emmaus, um, I, I don't, I want the story to speak for itself, so I don't want to preface it too much, but this story that we're going to be looking at basically takes place the same day that Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, soon after the, the disciples go and find the empty tomb. Uh, this story is in Luke 24, if you want to follow along with us. Um, it's not going to be up on the screens. It's not going to be up on your screen if you're watching online. I want you to just like listen to the story. So whatever you need to do to get in the zone to listen, you can close your eyes, take a deep breath. We've all had long days at this point. Our minds are all racing, or at least <laughs> my mind is racing. Um, so just take a, like a second to calm yourself and just listen to this story um, as I read it to you. Now that same day, two of them were going to the village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and all our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. 
but we had hoped that he would be the one that was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb, found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken, which is kind of mean for Jesus to say to his friends, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on their way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke bread. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is a weird story, right? There's a lot of weird things that happen. Um, there's a lot of detail packed in this little story, more than we're gonna have time to, to get to tonight. Uh, but a couple of things that I wanna point out, there's some interesting things going on here. Uh, we have these two followers of Jesus, Cleopas and another unnamed person. Uh, this is the only story about them in the Bible. Like we don't really know a whole lot about them other than this story. Um, we know that they were followers of Jesus, that they had been with the other disciples leading up to Jesus's death. And again, after Jesus's death, because they knew about the empty tomb, they knew about Mary and, and some of the other women going to the tomb and finding it empty and coming back and telling the disciples and them running to the tomb and finding it also empty. But that's about all we know about them. They're clearly people that follow Jesus and believed in what he's doing, but now they're on the road. They're heading to Emmaus away from Jerusalem. They're walking away from the place that Jesus is most likely to show up in if he's still alive. They're walking away from the rest of those who believe and, are, and happen to be staying together waiting for Jesus. So what's going on here? This is kind of a sad scene. This is a sad scene of two earnest followers of Jesus who don't believe anymore. Their hopes have been dashed. They, they feel duped. Jesus isn't who he said he was. And so they look at one another and they're like, let's get out of here. So they're on the road, heading back to their lives, back to reality. <laughs> Every time I say that phrase, back to reality, I think, yep, thank you, Curtis. Oop, there goes gravity. That's right. That Eminem song where he talks about mom's spaghetti. Um, so they're heading back to the reality. They're heading back to the broken world full of disappointment. And they're discussing everything that has happened with each other, trying to figure out like, where did we go wrong? Why were we so convinced that this, this guy was who he says he was? And then Jesus shows up, but they don't recognize him, which is weird. I don't understand what that means or how that works, uh, but he, they didn't know who he was. And so he asked them what they're talking about. And they're like, how do you have no idea what we're talking about? Are you the only person that doesn't know what's been going on? And then Cleopas starts to explain what happened to Jesus. And he says one little phrase that totally um, 
that's totally gut-wrenching. And uh, if you don't pay attention, you just kind of gloss over it. But it really conveys how defeated these two feel heading back to their homes. In talking about Jesus, Cleopas says, uh, he was a powerful prophet in word and deed, um, but the powers that be crucified him, which is obviously bad, but Jesus kind of always made these like vague allusions to raising from the dead after the third day, but it's been three days and uh, his body's missing, but he's nowhere to be found. And then he says this, we had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped. That phrase in the original Greek is, is a verb in the imperfect tense, which means it describes a past continuous action. So this suggests that this hope of these believers, that the hope that they had in Jesus was not just like a one-time momentary thing, but a deeply ingrained, long-standing habit that has now ceased. They used to hope, but they don't any longer. We had hoped. It's maybe the saddest phrase possible, but it's a state of being that we've all experienced at some point. We had hoped the treatment would work this time. We had hoped we wouldn't miscarry. We had hoped uh, that we could reopen and wouldn't lose our jobs. We had hoped our marriage would last. We had hoped the deal would go through and we could start a new life. We had hoped the cancer wouldn't return. We had hoped we wouldn't pass our wounds on to our kids. That's one that I've been thinking about a lot. We had hoped things would be different. So what have you hoped would be different in your life? By the time I was 20, my life was uh, dominated by darkness. I've talked about this a lot here. You guys all know. Um, I had suffered some pretty profound uh, uh, betrayals from people who were close to me. I had lost a good friend and then also later a pastor in two separate but very mysterious deaths. Uh, I was suffering from some deep relational dysfunctionality from childhood wounds that I was carrying around. And my attempts to cope with all of this resulted in a deeply entrenched addiction and cycle of shame. And I spent nights pleading with God to fix me, to help me. And it seemed like things only got worse and worse. I had hoped things would be different. I had hoped the people close to me wouldn't hurt me or wouldn't suddenly die. I had hoped that I would never succumb to addiction. I had hoped that God would love me, that God um, would deliver me or heal me or at least like help me. But no, there was nothing but, but it seemed more and more heartache. To the point where I finally came to the conclusion that either God really didn't like me or all of this is just a fantasy. And either way, I was over it. And I remember consciously deciding and telling a God that I didn't believe in anymore, I'm moving on with my life. Like this is, I'm, I'm over this, I'm done. And I didn't see it then, but looking back now, I can see how when I said to God, I'm moving on with my life, he said, cool, but I'm coming with you. And that's exactly what we see in this story that we're reading. Jesus on the first day of his resurrection spends hours not with his closest friends who are waiting for him to show up, but with these two followers who were the first to cut their losses and go back home to their lives. He spends hours with these two crushed souls who understandably have lost hope and are, are, are walking away from him. They're moving on with their lives and Jesus says, cool, but I'm coming with you. 
he could have appeared to them in a way that they actually recognized and said, hey, look, I'm alive. Everything's good. Stop being sad. But instead he walks along with them. He listens to them. He spends hours teaching them about how death and resurrection are woven into the fabric of the story of God. Jesus doesn't trivialize their heartbreak by just instantly fixing it. He gives appropriate time and weight to the profound disappointment that they're experiencing, literally and figuratively walking them through it all. I'm sure those two travelers would have much rather preferred Jesus just to appear and make it all better instantly. In my moments of pain, I always want a quick fix. I always want an instant miracle to make everything better. But it seems like in just the short time that I've been alive, what I've experienced and what I see others experiencing is that more often than not, God chooses to walk us through things rather than sparing us from them. So for all of you who find yourself in more in the we had hoped camp these days, and I think just about all of us have been there at some point in this past year, for all of you who are ready to or have already thrown in the towel, all of you who just can't bring yourself to believe anymore, is it possible that God is walking you through something? God is drawing you close. You may not recognize him. Sometimes it's impossible to see beyond our despair and that's okay. I'm not trying to explain away your pain. I'm not trying to give you a cheap answer and a quick fix to something that's ultimately isn't something to fix. All I'm asking is that you stay open to the possibility that Christ is near, even if you can't see or recognize him now. Though the two travelers didn't, didn't recognize Jesus for a long time, something in them knew. Something in them recognized the divine. They, they said that their hearts were burning the entire time this stranger was speaking to them. So if you, if you are feeling hopeless these days, will you stay open to the possibility of a burning heart? And no, Trevor, I'm not talking about that feeling that you get when you eat wings. Although maybe that is Christ being near. I'm talking about those, those moments, those rare and mysterious moments when you can almost feel your soul inside of you. When even if you don't recognize what's happening, somewhere deep inside you, you know love itself is close by. The message of the resurrection is this, God is drawing you close. We see this most clearly, not in abstract discussions about God conquering sin and death or the resurrection, but through the real flesh and blood actions of Jesus after his resurrection, (laughs) walking for miles alongside his hopeless friends, listening and teaching and instilling them with new hope and drawing them close to God. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for the truth of the resurrection. But thank you that you becoming your own creation and dying and then rising again is not just an abstract reality for us to mentally ascend to. Thank you that there is flesh and blood behind new life, resurrected life. God, thank you that you don't just... um, pretend like everything should be okay now that you've shown back up. Because there are, there is real suffering in the world. There is real suffering in the lives of my friends. And (laughs) the answer, well, Jesus rose from the dead. So like, what do you have to be sad about? It's just, 
not satisfying and that's not the answer that you gave your friends. So God, I pray that, um, that we would stay open to being drawn close to you. God, I pray that we would become aware of those things in our life that we don't recognize that are you trying to draw us close. I pray that we would stay open to burning hearts. God, thank you for this place that um, helps me every week stay open to hearing and experiencing you. We love you, God. Amen.